Tonight we want to look at the subject, being a Christian in a Christless world. Being a Christian in a Christless world. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please? In chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to look tonight at how we can come across many obstacles and trials and how we can find some encouragement. We know it's an evening service and generally we say, well, the gospel surely the blood of Christ should be preached. The blood of Christ is preached in every meeting here. And the blood of Christ will be preached tonight as well. Don't worry about that. Generally, we speak to God's people, uh, those who are saved in the morning service. Thank you, Billy. In the morning service, and uh, we will also be speaking to all people. We trust the Lord will be speaking to all people this evening. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. We're going to lift out the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you First of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let us pray. Our eternal Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, and even as your servant opened in prayer tonight, we thank you for the cross, we thank you for his work, We thank you for his doing. We thank you for his dying. We thank you for his rising again from the dead. We thank you, Lord, there's a man in the glory who is praying for us. And, Lord, we worship you. We wait for you. We look for you. Your second coming again for your people. Tonight, Father, we ask you for those who are here, uh, Lord, this evening, that you would speak to our hearts. And if there is one who has come in, not yet born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood of the Lamb and saved for all eternity. We pray tonight that they will see their need of salvation and forgiveness and see it all found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit, may he move upon us tonight, speak into our hearts and our minds tonight, and may he do that which he deems fit to do and how he deems it fit to Speak to hearts and lives, Lord. We do not tell you what to do, but we pray that you would move upon us, Lord. As our faces differ, so do our needs. And hence we ask you tonight, Lord, that you would meet that need, whether it's salvation or restoration or whether, Lord, it is healing in the body or in the mind. Encouragement, Lord. Even chastisement, Lord. Speak to us tonight. Speak to our hearts. And even though the wind blows this tent, Lord, and we can hear the sound thereof, we pray there will be a sound of the Spirit tonight, in this place tonight, moving upon hearts tonight, to the glory of your Son tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Being a Christian in a Christless world, 
In a world of increasing secularism, humanism, atheism, liberalism, communism, and of course Satanism, in a world with which all of this seems to be increasing, that's your world and mine, where you live and where I live, what we see and hear together. In a world like this, many a Christian can find it difficult. They can get down about it, distressed about it. They can even feel within themselves that, well, they're dejected over it. And really tonight I want you to see that even though all of this is going on and when we look and we see these things happening, we can feel like, well, I'm on my own. There's few of us left. There's only the one or the two. Or in my workplace, there's nobody but me. And in my home, in my family, I'm the only one saved. Or, and maybe your family is going liberalized and into wokeism and all of these things. And, and maybe you even have attended a church that has went down that route as well. And you feel in your heart and within your spirit You have nothing in common with them and you have nothing in common with that in the world anymore. But you feel sometimes like you're out on a limb. And sometimes you feel you're on your own and there's very few left. And what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen because we see the church apostatizing on the left hand and on the right, ecumenizing with every other religion and branch of so-called Christianity, and they turn away from the the bare word of the truth of the Scriptures, and and the church would rather chase the green agenda than the God who made and created all things. And hence they look at all things for their own comforts. And you say to yourself, I have nothing in common with this but I feel as though I am in this on my own. Maybe you've been there, maybe a young person here in school, college, and in university, and they feel the peer pressure because the world is going that way. Your friends are going that way. And hence you're concerned and you're worried because they think you should go that way. Believe these things and you feel within yourself that I can't be a Christian in school anymore or college or university or you're just started work or wherever you may be. And being a Christian in a Christless world can be daunting. Being a Christian in a Christless world can be difficult. Being a Christian in a Christless world, you may find that you are being depressed over it. So what is our joy as believers? First of all, I want you to see, because of what it is fed to you and to I on media, the mainstream media and in social media, because of that which we see, we see the leftist, we see the communist, we see the wokest agenda. And because you're not woke, but you're awake, you feel there's very few of you who truly sees the anti-Christ and the anti-Christian spirit that is prevailing in our society and in our streets. 
no longer adhering to the word of God, no fear of the Lord in the land, and we find that it's a, a weak and a miserable and watery situation where many, many, many churches have turned to fearing they had rocked the boat and they might be pointed out for all of these things. Brothers and sisters and friends tonight, whether you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, whether you are someone who's older in years, because sometimes we feel, well, when we're older, we won't have the worries. We won't have the stresses. Or, well, if I was a leader in the church, I wouldn't worry about these things. Or if I was the pastor, then they, he's got it all together and he'll have no difficulties. And if I was the preacher, well, sure, I could thunder it out and I'd go home without worrying about anybody because that's what I do. That's my calling. Or even to some, that's my job. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. Once you stand behind the sacred desk and open up the, the sacred scriptures of truth and bring it from the truth of scripture, you've just placed a target upon your back. And you are the number one enemy and foe. What do people like pastors, maybe I know there's others would listen to me. They said during the week, they messaged me. I had messages from Glasgow this week, from Limerick this week as well. I've had messages from Dublin this week. I've had messages from Wales this week and across England this week, from, from uh, California and across the United States, from Tennessee and from Arkansas, and I could go on and on, people saying, keep going, keep preaching. And yet we sort of sometimes think, well, that little tent up on that hill in Hunter's Hill just outside of Guilford, that man's a maverick and he's crazy and he's nuts, yet he just keeps preaching on and sure, nothing affects him. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, sometimes I feel that there's few of us until I look outside what the media, the mainstream media, the social media, the newspapers and the magazines and all of the politicians and so on who are in the wokest, liberalist agenda. When I look outside of them, I see that Christ is still building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, we must look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. We must take our stand in what he reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 into 14, he speaks of the spiritual gifts in the church and how they should be handled and how they should not be mishandled. And he runs us right into chapter 15. Moreover, on top of this, also brothers, also sisters, also brethren, in other words. Notice what he says, moreover, brethren, as well as all of this, you're going to find things difficult and you're going to find people come against you and you're going to find it hard and you're not going to fit in with society and things are going to get harder and more difficult. Children, youth, young adults, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and if you're like Abraham in the 90s or whatever, we all have that against us. And Paul is writing to the early church here in Corinth. Notice what he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Take note of this, the gospel, 
which I preached unto you. So what Paul is saying is, I have told you of this word. I have preached this gospel before. It's the same word. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. It's the same Spirit. He hasn't changed. And he says, I have preached Christ and him crucified to you. He says, and now I'm rehearsing it back to you. Because when all of these things come against you, you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to hold on. And you're going to have to believe with all your heart. Especially, not only in the days in which they lived, where they had persecution of the Jews, but they had persecution from the Romans. And hence, even today, we would have persecution from society at large. He tells them, and tells us this evening, he says, I preached unto you, which also ye have received wherein ye stand. This is the word in which you stand. If you can grasp this, if you can believe this, if you can receive this, if you can take this in, he says, within your being, right into your heart, he says, then you will be able to stand for the Lord. The problem is, many people hear wishy-washy, watered-down gospels, wishy-watering words, and they don't hear the, the very fundamentals of the truth of the Word of God. They don't receive it into their hearts. They don't believe it really and fully and honestly. And hence, when the wind blows, they find they're easily blown over. And they fade away like shooting stars. They're good when it's good, and they're away when it's not so good. And Paul says, in these days where this church is a fledgling church. This isn't going for a thousand years. It isn't going for two thousand years. This is going for just a few years. And Paul is saying, I have preached it unto you. Now I am rehearsing it again that you receive this word. And it's this word in which you will stand. And what is it? What's the... What's the long and the short of it, Paul? What is it that, that it's so concise that I can stand in? Should everyone detest me and everyone hate me and all be against me? Then what is the word? He says it's simple. Christ died for you, was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's the word, brother. That's the word, sister. Yes, Paul tells us, when you know Christ... When you've received Christ, when you've believed in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, he says, there is your standing ground. There is your fighting ground. There is the assurity. The ground you stand on is in Christ. Are you in Christ tonight? I'm talking to the believer now. Are you assured of your salvation? Are you in Christ? If Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, then you'll stand. Then you'll go on with him. Then you'll trust in him. When all comes against you, your heart will be sold out to him. You are not alone tonight, brothers and sisters. Far from it. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised to build his church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice this. In this world of increasing secularism and humanism and atheism and Satanism and communism and liberalism and all the other so-called ungodly, Christless isms in our society today, in all of it, in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3 and in verse 19, he says, this is happening. Do you know why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Notice what he says. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. There's people out there and they know. They know what they're doing is wrong. There's people out there. They may not even be saved. Some maybe grew up in a Christian home and they walked away from the Lord and maybe just to rebel fully against God. So what they'll do is they'll get worse in their lifestyle except all manner of things and situations and sins in their life. But they know, they know, they know, they know that they're not right with them. They know. They know they're not right with God. Maybe I'm talking to someone tonight, and you know you're not right with God. You know you're not right with Him. You can put on a show. You can put on the suit. You can put on the fancy dress. You can put on whatever, and your heart is far from Him. And when these things come against us, it's easier to go with the flow because your heart is away from God. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Where ungodliness is rife, where unrighteousness seems to be prevailing, where unbelief in God looks like it's increasing, where unbridled lusts are the norm of society today, when uncontrollable passions are in plain view of our eyes in every place, where unrelenting attacks are upon the Word of God, upon the preaching of the Word of God, and upon the children of God, where unthinkable events are reported as good, where unbearable sights are flaunted in our face, and where unworkable hearts and minds of men seem prevalent in our society and where we live today. In a world like this, it's easy for the believer to think, That is the true report. Oh, you're going to read statistics. Oh, there's only so many say they're Christian now in Ulster. There's only so many say, listen, the vast majority of them even that say that they are Christian aren't saved. The vast majority who would even say they're Christian, they are Christian nominally to their denomination, but the majority of them aren't saved. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You might say, well, you're shrinking it down even more, preacher. Ken, you're you're letting us see we're even less than what we are. You're not very encouraging to me. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I'd rather be in the few and the elect of God to go to hell in a handcart with the rest of society. 
In the words of old John Knox, the Scottish reformer, he says, one with God is a majority. One with God, one family, one assembly, one town, one with God is a majority. You know something tonight? Should hell be let loose, brothers and sisters, see this word, we can stand on it. And God is with us. God is on your side tonight, child of God. Be not afraid nor dismayed at the things and the sights that are coming upon our land and in this world. In a world like this, in a time in which we live in, it's all too easy for you to be discouraged or disheartened or disillusioned. But one must remember this. Two points I just bring tonight. One must remember this. Point one. You are not on your own. And what looks like it, it may even sound like it, you are not on your own. You are not alone. Even in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, Paul coming to the end of the epistle, and he writes these words, All the saints salute you. All the saints salute you. Telling the Corinthians, you're not on your own. Child of God in Corinth, you're not on your own. Child of God in Christ's encounters, you're not on your own. Child of God in wherever you live, you're not on your own. All the saints salute you. In other words, there's more right there who are being prepared and are willing and ready to take their stand for the glory of Christ. It is always, it is always in times of trouble and persecution that the church of Christ burns brighter. Always, through persecution, you are not on your own. Remember in 2 Kings when Elisha was with the young servant boy? Do you remember whenever there was a freight and the Syrian army was all around? And he says to this young lad, he see nothing but the enemy. He see nothing but the Syrians. He didn't know where to go or what they were going to do. There was him and the prophet. That was it. Him and the prophet. The young servant boy, he is, he, he, he's frightened. And this is what Elisha says to him. You ready? Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I want you to remember that because then Elisha asked the Lord to lift the scales off the young servant's eyes. You can read it at some time at your leisure. We're told that the Lord does it and the hills around about were full of celestial beings. Chariots sent from God enabled to wipe out the armies of the enemy. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, even better than the armies of God, we have the Lord himself on our side. Brothers and sisters, you're not on your own. The Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 28 and verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, 
even until the end of the world, or the word world is age. I'll be with you always. And there he sends forth these disciples filled with the Holy Ghost, born again, baptized, blood-washed believers, sends them forth in his name to preach the gospel. Listen, there weren't other churches for them to run to. There was nobody to phone up and say, can you help me? There was no, there was no government to stand between them and if, uh, if some of the people of the town hated them to come against them to maybe hinder the attacks. There was none of it. They had to go out trusting in the Lord. They had to go out believing in the Lord. They had to go out ready to live for His glory or to die for His glory. The problem is we want to live, but no one wants to die for His glory. No one wants to suffer anymore for Christ. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The word age is the word aeon. And it means a perpetual time, a flowing, going time. Gives the idea that Jesus is saying, doesn't matter whether you are sent out now, now at men in their 30s and you're able to live till your 90s like John did or even more like John did, he says, I will always be with you. Think of the Isle of Patmos when John was there. Think of that Isle. And the Lord gave John the revelation of Jesus Christ. There on an island where none could reach him, where the enemy had him, and there he was away from all others and by himself on a rugged, rocky, barren island. There the Lord knew where to find him. You know the Lord knows where to find you, brother. He knows where to find you, sister, in your lonely times, in your hard times, your difficult times, your persecuted times. He knows where to find you, but not always does he bring you out of the storm. Sometimes the Lord calms you in the storm that he may fortify you in the inward man and woman. And here John gets the revelation of Jesus Christ on the isle that is called Patmos. Yes, Christ kept his word. Lo, I am with you always, even right through the perpetual age of time. Can you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, please? 1 Peter chapter 5, if you will. Just like your eye run down to verse 6. And Peter says to us, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Uh, he, Second Peter, pardon me, 1 Peter, did I say first there? I thought I told you second. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's a word for someone tonight to humble themselves. A word for someone tonight there that the Lord will exalt it. A word for someone to cast all your care upon him, even from the minutest, littlest itty-bitty care that you have. The little niggling thoughts you're not sure about, but you're concerned about. He says, cast them on him. Gives the idea when the Lord Jesus was walking along the shore. They seen Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they were casting their nets, casting their net out. 
He says, take your care and cast it upon the Lord. Cast it on him tonight, sister. Cast it on him tonight, brother. Now take note of this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil. We're talking about him tonight with all these isms. In and through it. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring land, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You don't take your stand in the Scriptures. You don't stay close to the shepherd. You don't stay near to the Lord. There's an enemy who would want to take you and devour you. Take your heart away. Take your mind away. Take your joy away. Take your peace away. Notice what it says in verse 9, though. Whom resist steadfast. When you say steadfast, would you shout it out? Steadfast in the faith. Some Christians come in and their faith is, well, how are you getting on? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know where I'm going. I don't. And listen, everybody can have their up and down days. Don't get me wrong. But there's people and they've never grew. They've never grew in their faith. They've never walked close to Christ. They're like Peter, they've walked afar, and they wonder why sometimes they find themselves sitting at the enemy's fire, hating themselves, and denying the Lord, even in the presence of his enemies. It's because they're not close to Christ. It says, just have to resist the devil. Do you know why you have to just resist them? You don't need to rebuke the devil. It doesn't say about rebuking the devil. It says resist the devil. Just resist him. Do you know why? Because he's already been defeated. You're fighting from a place of victory in Christ. You stand on the plinth of the promises of God in Christ. You're standing on the unmovable rock of the revelation of Christ and of his written word. Notice here. He says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing, now take note, you're not on your own here, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. <laughs> ah, you see, you've come into CET tonight. You've come into this tent and the wind's blowing and I'm trying to keep my voice high as much as possible that you'll be able to hear without straining your ears. And you've come in maybe thinking, all of this stuff, you know, uh, the world and, and even other Christians don't understand me because I believe in the Scripture and what it says. I follow hard after Christ and close to the Savior, and they don't understand my, my, my language. You know why they don't? Because they're far from Him. Maybe you've come in here tonight and you're going, all that's happening in this world. Listen, I understand. Honestly, I understand. And I, I, I understand that, you know, I've loved ones that are unsaved and I want to see them saved. I want to see them born again. I, I, I want to see them, but my heart just yearns for Christ to come back again. I detest, I detest this world and everything it's come to stand for. 
And maybe you've come in like this and you've been disappointed in your workmates or your schoolmates or your college and university friends and, uh, and you're just going, oh, well, how am I going to get through this? Listen, remember the word that's preached unto you. If you have to remember it tonight, remember the word that's being rehearsed unto you tonight. You're not on your own, even as Peter said. Notice what he says. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There's other people. It's not just our church. It's not just this assembly. There are other believers who love the Lord and they're taking their stand for the gospel of truth. And I believe when eventually it gets worse for us, there will be those we'll soon see who are the sheep and who are the goats. Oh, there couldn't be goats, surely. Could or not? Go back to our reading. Go back to our reading. Pretenders. Pretenders, head knowledge Christians, and no, no heart knowledge Christian. Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Notice, by which also you're saved. You're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now, Paul's not saying, if you forget this, you're lost. You're not saved one minute and lost the next. Away with it. What he's saying is this. Let him finish it. Unless. Would you say unless? Shut it out. Unless. You have believed in vain. Unless you profess Christ and done nothing with it. Unless you said, yes, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior and there's been no change of life. If there's no change, there's no Christ. Maybe some have believed in vain. Believed in vain. Maybe some have believed in vain. Well, yeah, ah, yes, I, I go to church and, well, I suppose I'm a Christian. If you go to church and you just say you're a Christian because you've got uh, christened or baptized or whatever you want to call it, and that's what you're resting your eternal welfare on and the full security of your salvation on, friend, I hate to tell you, you're lost. And this isn't in you. You're believing in vain. There are Protestants up and down this country I'll put it in brackets when I say that, Protestants. And they think stand at the side of a road on the 12th of July with a, a blue bag from the off sales full of drink makes them a Protestant. And sure, we are the people and we're saved. Listen, they'll go to hell. They'll go to hell. You know how I know? Because I was one of them. I was one of them. Are you saved? Notice Paul says, there are those who have believed in vain.
You know, when we bring you in here, we open up, we have insurance for here. We have to pay every year insurance for this place. Just in case someone gets hurt or whatever, we pay insurance. And that's just in case. Thankfully, nothing has happened, and we trust that that won't happen. But that's just in case we pay every year an insurance policy. But I can tell you there's a difference in insurance and assurance. In my heart, in my life, and I trust in yours that you have an assurance that you haven't believed in vain, but that you are saved. I'm a preaching the puppet apart, Billy. What's happening there? <laughs> You're not alone. Secondly and lastly, will you turn with me to Hebrews 11, please? Hebrews 11. Beginning of Hebrews 11, this is known as faith's hall of fame. Starts off in verse 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then in verse 4, it starts, By faith able. And it keeps going on by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. Through faith, Sarah, in verse 11. By faith Abraham, verse 17. By faith Isaac, verse 20. By faith Jacob, in verse 21. By faith Joseph, in verse 22. By faith Moses, verse 23. And Moses again in 24. It says, through faith and by faith write down Notice what it says here in verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised their life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Where's your health, wealth, and prosperity there? I love verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and all these having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. You know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on the coming of Christ. The resurrection of the dead. They're waiting on their glorified state. 
their glorified bodies. They're waiting that Christ will come and we're all joined together and our bodies will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. The greater promise of God lies ahead of us, brothers and sisters. And even though these people walk through these, one, you're not on your own, and two, others have walked this way before you. They have walked this way by faith, by faith, through faith, through faith, by faith, by faith. And listen, we can read all of these names of, of all those that I read out, and we can think, well, you know, they were superhuman. We nearly turn it into another fable and a, a little story. As if it's, uh, you know, it's not real. It's like a, a Hustle and Gretel type of thing. Brothers and sisters, this is real. These were real people. This was a real happening. These were real feelings, real fears, real concerns. They walked like you walk. They talked like you talk. They looked like you look. They have problems like you had problems. They had fears like you have fears, concerns like you had concerns, and like I have. And yet, they had to dig deep and stand in the Word and the promises of God and say, Lord, I'm ready to go on with you. Faith. Faith in the Lord. We tend to think they, they didn't really matter too much. They were immune to the, to, the, to the mourning of death because that's what happened years ago. There's so much of it. We tend to think of it, brothers and sisters, and that's not so at all. For throughout the Scriptures, even King David mourned the loss of his wicked, rebellious son, Absalom. Absalom! Absalom! He cries. My son, Absalom! They were real people with real difficulties. Flesh and blood and bone like you and I. And by faith, they subdued. By faith, they did. By faith, they went. By faith, they stood. Now, chapter 12 says this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race. <clears throat> let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Pardon me. Verse 2, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, look, for, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Christ went through it. They hated him. They despised him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah says. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. And we could go on in Isaiah 53. Notice this. Here we're told to consider him. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. It's not that he was looking forward to being crucified. It's not that he was looking forward to being nailed to a tree. No. It doesn't mean that whatsoever. The joy sent before him is the day when he comes again and gathers up his elect. 
comes and gathers his own jewels together like into a big treasure chest. When he gathers us together and ushers us perfectly spotless and spotless before his Father in heaven. This is my joy and this is my crown, Father, for I have redeemed them by my blood. And the writer says, Now consider him. He went through it. In John 15 and 28, the Lord said, If the world hate you, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So see, every time someone says something, I get it all on a regular basis. I get people slandering me, get people gossiping about me, get people calling me all sorts of names every week, basically. Sometimes one, sometimes many. I've had people make up Facebook pages about me. I've even had them do videos about me and post them online. I've had it all. But you know what? If they've done it to him, then I'm in good company. I'm in good company and so are you. Brothers and sisters, as I round this up, Although we live as Christians, as believers in Christ and the aforementioned world of Antichrist, that Antichrist spirit with Antichrist and Antichristian ideologies, we're not the first and we'll not be the last. Sometimes we may be down, but we're not defeated. We are not defeated. Listen, if I asked you, I ask you a question. Which religion in the earth, I call it religion because it would just take too long to try to dissect it, but which faith or religion in the earth is the most persecuted? And nearly everyone I'm sure would say, well, it must be the Jews. It must be the Jews. Well, no, it's not. At the last count which I could find in its I think there's a few more added on to this. In 145 countries, now there's all manner of those who say they're Christians and they're not saved and all. I'm not going into that, but I'm talking about what they call Christendom. 145 countries of Christians, those professing Christians, are persecuted or harassed today. At least 145 countries. That's the most persecuted faith that there is. Secondly, There is the Islamic faith, 139 countries or so. And thirdly is the Jews, 88 countries. So really Christians almost double that which the Jews are persecuted in. Going to finish with this. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 again? 1 Corinthians 15. We have the reported gospel. We have the received gospel and the repeated gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, listen to what Paul says in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now that little synopsis of 
the gospel in which we stand in, the death, the burial, and the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you were to read the rest of this chapter, if you want to take these down while I quickly tell you of them, you can and read them later. But from verses 5 until verse 11, you'll have Christ's revealing, the revelation of Christ and his resurrection. So you have Christ's revealing, verses 12 to 22, the resurrection of Christ spoken of. Thirdly, in verses 23 to 28, you have the reign of Christ, Christ's reign. In verse 29 to 32, you have Christ's reproach spoken of. In verses 33 and 34, you have Christ's rebuttal. And then in verses 35 to 50, you have Christ's remolding, remolding the man and the woman, changing off the body. And then lastly, seventhly, you have Christ's return in verses 51 to 58. So I finish with this scripture. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to read it out. Matthew 10, verses 27 and 28, the Lord Jesus says this to his disciples. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. There's a challenge for you, Christian. Now, there's a challenge for you. You heard the word of God. Who have you told? Who have you? People say, don't preach to me. Jesus says, you preach to them. That's what he says. You tell them. Listen, it's not your business who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. That's his business. It's your business to sow the seed. To set your the trumpet to your mouth and sound an alarm and all this holy mountain to go across our neighborhoods and our society to take our stand, not to be mealy-mouthed, not to have a backbone carved out of soft banana, but to take our stand and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, to be unashamed of Christ and unafraid of those around us. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Verse 28, fear not them which kill the body. I think of the early church. All they had to do was take the sands, cast them in, to the torch fire. Hail Caesar. Nay and their family would be released free. But rather they stood in this gospel. They stood for Christ. And many of them, their children were taken and put inside an animal which had been gutted out. Maybe like a, a heifer or a cow. They took the guts out, cut the belly open, took the guts out. And the Romans put them inside and sewed it up with, with rope. 
And there their mothers and fathers were to stand while the white lions were to be released. And as they went to the carcass of this dead animal, they heard the noise of the children screaming and crying, sends the lions into a frenzy, and they go, the lions in, eat and tear away at the flesh until they get the live bait within it, their children. And all they had to do was say, denounce Christ and heal Caesar. And there they stood watching their children. And then they went to their own demise and death. But they said they would do it for the glory of Christ. I think of the early reformers. The fires of Smithfield. Tied to a stake for the faith. The just shall live by faith. For the glories of Christ and his crown and covenant. I can see them standing tied to the stake with the, the faggots all around them. All built up in satellite round their neck. All they had to do was recant. Recant of the just shall live by faith. Recant of saved by grace through faith. And trust again in the Romish works. And they wouldn't do it. But rather they went to their death. A slow burning. I think of them being garroted and hung, drawn and quartered and stretched out in racks and their arms and legs cut to pieces and cut off them. And while they're still alive, they took them from their very groin up to the top of their chest and they gutted them out. And they done it in a way that they're still alive, writhing in agony. Recant. And they says, we can't because we know Christ. Think of a young woman pregnant having her baby at one of those fires tied to the pole. And the baby, it comes from her womb and they take it and throw the baby back into the fire. Then I think of what's happening today. And most of the Christians are like, shh. Please don't, we'll get into trouble. Don't mention Jesus. Don't mention the gospel. Uh, don't mention it in work and don't mention it in school and don't mention it in college and, and don't mention it because I was talking to a brother earlier on and he was talking about, he had mentioned, he said he wouldn't go with this, uh, this thing that wanted to happen and not say what it was and he wouldn't do it and he was taking a stand and, you know, we're saying it's coming to the place where it's going to have to be even our, 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 our jobs are going to have to be going. They, they could take me out and put me in the prison for preaching something like this. They would take you and you could lose your job, which means you're going to have to either decide, is it Christ for me? Well, brother, is it? Is it? Is it Christ for you? Sister, is it Christ for you? So let's stand in this gospel. Will you stand to your feet, please? Tell me to come up, please.